Thanks to LinkedIn for supporting Market Foolery, LinkedIn Jobs makes it easy to get matched with quality candidates who make the most sense for your role. Post a job today at linkedin.com slash fool and get $50 off your first job post. It's Monday, June 10th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Matt Greer, and joining me in studio, Motley Fool analyst Jason Moser and Emily Flippin. Welcome. Hey, hey. Hey, Matt. How we doing? Good, doing I'm well. Doing well, yeah. Good. Seems like things are all right here. Recovering from a busy, uh, busy week. A busy week, a busy Fool Fest, our annual member event. We may talk about that a bit later, but lots to get to. We've got Beyond Meat, which just continues to go up and up and up. We've got Zoom. Which also getting it done. And we've got some cannabis news. But we begin with Merger Monday. Now on a Sunday, two big deals. The first one on Sunday, United Technologies and Raytheon announcing plans to merge. Now the new company, Raytheon Technologies, would become the second largest aerospace and defense company in the US, right after a little company named Boeing. Mm. And another big deal on Monday, y'all, Salesforce planning to buy big data company Tableau Software for $15.3 billion. Emily, let's start with the United Raytheon deal. It's an exciting Monday for all these mergers, and United Raytheon is no exception. Notably, when they announced the deal, President Trump then virtually immediately responded, saying that he was concerned about the anti-competitive behavior that would result for defense contractors once this deal goes through, noting that it's harder for the U.S. government to get good prices on things like airplanes when there are fewer businesses to choose from. However, the CEOs of both United Technologies and Raytheon then came out and said there was really nothing anti-competitive about this merger because they don't supply the same products. But nonetheless, I think it plays into the trends that we're seeing in in terms of you know regulatory agencies and how they gauge mergers and acquisitions for a lot of these huge companies. I think combined, this would be a hundred sixty-six billion dollar company. So it's definitely not a small merger by any means. And Jason, what about the Salesforce news? Yeah, I mean, Chris and I were talking about Salesforce's uh, most recent quarter. I think it was last Wednesday's market foolery, and I mean it was it was another very good quarter for the company. I mean, I think it's helpful to remember exactly what Salesforce is. Uh, it's an online solution for customer relationship management, and so ultimately you're giving these companies uh, a chance for all of their departments, whether it's you know marketing, sales, commerce, service, all of these departments. It gives them a shared view. Of your customers in in one platform, and so Salesforce ultimately, uh, you know, runs that platform with all of these different services, and it plays into this idea that we are really operating in what is becoming a very digital economy. Uh, there, are, there are estimates that by 2022, more than 60% of global GDP will be actually digitized or or functioning as a digital economy. Uh, look around the things that we're doing today; that seems fairly plausible. Uh, so the the acquisition of Tableau will give them. The the opportunity uh, to do more with the data that their platform brings in, and I mean, you remember one that long ago where Mark Benioff, the founder and CEO of Salesforce, was kicking around the idea of buying Twitter, which seemed odd on the surface, but really that was kind of a data play too, given Twitter's role in customer relationship management and how people are reaching out and using that platform. And let's look at the market's reaction to this deal. Not uncommon in a deal like this, shares of Salesforce down around four percent at the time of our taping. Tableau up around thirty five percent. What does that tell you as an investor? Well, yeah, I mean it's it's a good price for Tableau. I mean, there's a good deal for Tableau. I think shareholders there ought to feel pretty good about that, considering the business. It's kind of one of those. It's one of those 
tech companies of, of, of this new age where they're, they're growing their top line okay, but you know, they're still not profitable. And so who knows when they ever will be materially profitable? Now it's not going to matter. Um, on Salesforce, the Salesforce side, it is an all stock deal. Um, and so from that perspective, you know, I actually kind of like that move because shares are trading at near all time highs. So essentially, they're using those shares as a form of cheap currency as opposed to levering up the balance sheet because it's a $15, $16 billion deal, all things said. So, uh, you know, smart, smart way on, on Benioff's part to manage the deal. Um, I, you know, the, the company, if you, if you just look at their track record, they've got a very good track record of growing the business and doing smart things. And I mean, it does really operate on this idea that customer experience is going to overtake price and and the product quality is really the key brand differentiator. I mean, it, it you know, customer service now is just such a big deal and their prior customers are prioritizing that over price and in quality in some cases and so that's that's the idea behind the deal. And Tableau isn't the only one that's up significantly today. A lot of Tableau's competitors like Domo and Alteryx, they're all up. And it's kind of a sign to the industry that hey, I know there's a lot of competitors in this space, but there's also a lot of demand from the bigger guys. So maybe this acquisition of a ten billion dollar company, so Tableau already being, you know, a huge, well-established company, maybe it means even greater things for a lot of these smaller organizations. And actually, Joey, another analyst here at the Fool, mentioned to me this morning, reminded me that back in 2016, there were actually those leaked documents from Salesforce in which Tableau was one of the companies in which they were apparently expressing an interest in acquiring and it didn't happen then but it's clear that you know this has been on their their minds for a while so I wouldn't be surprised if this isn't the last merger we see yeah and I mean that you're you're looking at Salesforce coming at this from a position of strength already I mean when you look at at the the worldwide customer relationship management applications revenue market share um, these estimates come from IDC but but you're looking at Salesforce with 16.8% of that revenue share the next closest is Oracle at 5.7%. I mean Salesforce is the clear leader and and they've only done they've only separated that over time. I mean it only they've only become more the leader over time. I think this does nothing but but make that gap even larger. Okay, so you're telling me if I'm a Salesforce shareholder and my shares are down around 4% on this deal I should not necessarily go out and just sell all my shares. <laughs> I definitely wouldn't. I would certainly consider this as potentially an opportunity to add to a position of a of a leading company in its in its field. Um, I mean, that's very much the normal reaction, right? That the acquirer typically the stock gets punished, and in the acquiree, the stock typically reflects the premium that it's being bought out at. So there, there's nothing uh, you know odd odd from that behavior. And, and really, I mean, again, look at Salesforce's track record. I mean, if you've been a shareholder of this business, you, you're very happy. Beyond Meat reported better than expected earnings last Thursday when we were having our annual Fool Fest. The stock shot up on the news, and the good times keep coming for the plant based not meat company. Beyond Meat shares up around 30% today. Over the last five days, shares up around 80%. Now, Emily, I'm not an analyst, but that seems, or is that a bit frothy? I see 80% in five days. And I don't know about that. <laughs> I definitely think it's a little bit frothy, but you know, the market can stay irrational if it is irrational. It can stay irrational for 
a long time, right? And investors can sometimes forget that. Um, I'm not entirely surprised to see it up on on a beat for earnings. However, when you look at the actual valuation of the company, I mean, this a is beat a B E A T, right? Yes. Not a B E E T. Okay. <laughs> Although they Sorry. do use beet in their products, is that true? Yes, it is. That's how they give it the the red flavor. Actually. I love the beets. red flavor. Did you ever eat? Meat. I used to eat beets from the jar when I was a kid. Did oh. you ever eat those like purpley beets? Good God, no. Oh, they were so how good. How old are you? I was no, I was th- that was when I was like you know seven or eight. I eat beets and deviled ham and so man, like pimento I remember. Cheese. I remember in college, and I wasn't in a fraternity, but I would see my freshman year in college, I would see fraternities, they would haze the pledges by forcing them to go to the salad bar and eat a bowl full of beets. I mean, that was all I needed, right? I was like, I don't need And and now Beyond Meats is taking beets, and people are paying a lot of money for them. So look how times have changed, right? Um, Yeah, when I look at Beyond Meats and I look at the industry, it's a $9 billion company. So clearly, on 40 million of sales this quarter. So it's, it's, you know, obviously a frothy valuation. I think it's trading at around 40 times price of sales. So, it's to say it's expensive is not an understatement, but the reason why we're seeing it trade so much higher is simply because people don't really know how big the market is. This is really new industry and it's it's not just comparing it to say frozen, you know, vegetable patties in the freezer section. People say, "Well, this has been around forever and it's not changing anything." I mean, the fact that Beyond Meats is building a brand and getting that brand next to actual meat products in the meat section of your grocery store, there's value in that. And It'll be interesting to see if this is a permanent change to people's diets. I think if that is the case, this valuation is justified. Personally, I tend to think it's a little bit frothy. I last week I actually put a, we call it a negative conviction here <laughs> at the Motley Fools, our internal tracking system. I put negative convictions in for Beyond Meat because I said to myself, "There's no way this company." Can be higher than it already is, and you know what? They proved me wrong. So there's your there's your note not to bet against the market sometimes. Well, but you know, also to your defense, the very small time timeline, of right? Course. Very a very small window there. And I mean, speaking of that small window, you know, I had a couple of good questions over this past week at Full Fest in regard to stocks perhaps having a tough year, not performing as well as as maybe the business was performing. And it reminded me of a slide that we use uh, occasionally when we're teaching a full school seminar. And in the point of it is to show that in these one year gaps, I mean these little one year windows it doesn't always quite make sense. And the example is 2008. When we look at Google, uh, back then it was Google, and in 2008 they grew their revenue uh, a little bit more than 31 percent. So that's a nice line headed up, you know, in the, in the right direction. The stock in 2008 was down over 50 percent. So why would the stock be down so much when the business seemingly was performing well? I mean, it could be a number of reasons, but the point was that this is a one-year window in when you stretch it out over longer periods of time, those little one-year windows start to look like blips. And so, you know, the market can be sort of, it doesn't always make sense in the short run, right? It doesn't always quite make sense. And this reminds me a little bit of Tilray. Um, I mean, different business, obviously, but I think the mania is still similar. And we saw Tilray early on. I mean, that was $150, $160. And we're going to talk some Tilray later. Yeah. And I mean, like now it's around $40, $45. And so, I mean, I have a hard time believing this lasts forever. I do believe in the market opportunity and what Beyond Meat is doing, but sometimes you have to look at those growth expectations that the stock price is baking in and take a little bit of a dose of skepticism. So, when you look at the market, when you look at the broader market, is there a company, maybe it's Beyond Meat, or is there another company that you're more excited about? 
I, I'm not not excited about Beyond Meat. Like I'm Jason, not not, not excited. excited. Okay, got it. So that means you are excited. Well, Double I'm not negative. not excited. Okay, I'm not not excited. Okay, um, and that's just it's for the points that Jason made, which is it's a it's a good company, has a great vision, has a good product, but. And in the non-meat industry, I'm actually more excited to see Impossible Foods because I think they have a little bit more proprietary way of of making their meats. Right? They're still not private, meat, right? Still private company. I don't expect them to stay private for much longer, especially given the huge valuations that Beyond Meat has seen. It's almost better for them if they are going to IPO. They want to do so when. Conditions are in their favor, and right now conditions are definitely in their favor. That I don't know if they have plans to or not, but but if I was them, I would definitely be thinking about it. But here's the thing about Beyond Meats: it has better distribution. Honestly, a, a lot of great agreements. Impossible Foods still mainly in in restaurants. Beyond Meats has lots of good agreements, whether that be fast food or or even just in your local grocery store for retail customers. So. I, it's important for me not to downplay Beyond Meats. I mean, I actually really do believe in in the long term sustainability of both of those companies. Okay. Well, speaking of red hot stocks, shares of Zoom up eight percent today after posting better than expected earnings last week. The stock's been going up since its earnings report. Now, Zoom is a video conferencing technology company. Went public in April. Okay, the IPO priced at thirty-six bucks a share began trading at sixty-five dollars today, trading around one hundred dollars. What do we think of Zoom? I, I, you know, I feel like it's another one of those. We stocks use it here. Where, we use the yes, product. We do. And I mean, it's fantastic. I, 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 yeah, the product is awesome, um, and I think it's got all the potential in the world. I mean, if you look at the quarter itself, I mean. They, you know, they now have fifty-eight thousand five hundred customers with more than ten employees. They have four hundred five customers that are bringing in more than one hundred thousand dollars in revenue for the company. Um, I think that you know, CEO and founder Eric Wan has, has figured out that there's a space here in video conferencing where you've got these big, formidable competitors. Things like Google and is it Chat, Google Chat Rooms or whatever, um, and, and Microsoft owns Skype, but. It just appears that those businesses—they're not investing in those businesses, those platforms at all. And Zoom is profitable. And, well, and Zoom is profitable. I mean, which is, be did clear, they get the memo? Well, they're a new IPO. I mean, What's going is, on with that? It does look like. I mean, it, from what I could see in the guidance there in the re, in the release, I think from a gap perspective, they're not going to be profitable for the full year. Um, but but I mean, to your point. They they have recorded profitability and they are growing their top line in a in an impressive fashion. I think, you know, I mean they they're taking this perspective that listen this is this is the a market that's been neglected. This is a, this is a service that the long term tailwinds there are there. Um, and why companies like Google and Microsoft are not investing in those platforms? Who knows? Uh, you know. So so Juan decided to get out there and, and, and to do something about that. And, and clearly the numbers say that he's doing a good job. I, I think the the only real question I have with a company like this, besides valuation, I mean the valuation is is you know rich. Yeah, that's one way to put it. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, but you know he is very um, he is very. Serious about customer happiness. I mean, that is sort of their north star, so to speak. Like they want to just make sure they are taking care of their customers and customers are happy. And so, typically, customers are happy because they get great service and they're not paying a lot for that service. So then, you have to ask yourself, all right, so what does that do for a business like this over the long run? How much, perhaps, can they raise prices as time goes on? I don't know. I'm not saying they can't. I'm saying that's a question to deliberate. Uh, 
I'm, I'm bullish on the service. I'm bullish on the stock. The valuation's up there, but I don't know. What do you think, Emily? I don't get bothered by the valuation as much here. Granted, I think it's lofty, but the reason why it's lofty is because Zoom is such a, a great, well-run company. Um, they have record customer growth. I think six percent average revenue per user growth last quarter, which is insane. They're profitable. A net dollar expansion rate of 140 percent. A net promoter score of 70. International exposure. Steady recurring revenue. Pretty inept competition, at least from my perspective. <laughs> and I mean, virtually any metric you look at this company, it's good. It costs them less to get customers, and it costs them less to retain and expand relationships with those customers. And it's still a small company, so we'll see how this evolves over time. But I think the reason why the markets responded so positively to the company becoming public is just because it's a strong, good company. And I, I don't like to discount companies that have great leadership, a great business model, um, you know, just well-run company received well by their customers. I don't want to discount it just because I think the valuation is too frothy. Because honestly, at no point is a company this well run cheap. Yeah. Well, we talk a lot about stocks and valuation. Is this, you know, should you buy the stock even if it's rich or whatever? And and I think we've we've I've said it before. I mean, when I find a business like Zoom, where to me, like it checks all the boxes for me. There, I mean, there I like it from virtually every regard, um, except for the valuation. And when that's the case. Um, it typically, I'll look at this as the perfect opportunity to buy a company in thirds, where you say, "All right, take the total amount of money that you want to invest in this business. Say it's three thousand dollars for simplicity's sake. We split that into three parts: one thousand dollars each, and you buy a thousand dollars of shares today. Even if you feel like the stock may be overpriced, who knows? Maybe it never comes back down. We can't make any guarantees, but you buy opportunistically. If you have to keep buying on the way up, then so be it. That's okay too. But you buy that first uh, allotment of shares, hoping that maybe you get a Chance to buy some more on a dip if there's a correction or if the company runs into some problems. But but I think that's one way to deal with stocks if you have a concern about the valuation, but really like the business. And I love that point, Jason, because I think it's so easy as investors to think in very binary. I either have to buy all of it right now, or I can never buy it. And in fact, that's not the choice at all, right? You can buy it over time. You can dollar cost average. You can find different entry points, and then it then the pressure doesn't feel quite as great if you're not committing as much capital all at one moment. Yeah, I don't think I have any stock in my portfolio where I've just only bought one, you know, lot of shares. I mean, it seems like if it's a company that I like that continues to perform well, I'm not afraid to add to it. Well, before we get to our final story, I want to say thanks to LinkedIn. Now, Jason, I know you've been involved in some of our hiring here at The Motley Fool, and a lot of that hiring comes from LinkedIn. After all, you want to find the best person for the job, and odds are that person is on LinkedIn. It was an invaluable resource for us, Mac. Well, LinkedIn Jobs makes it easy to get matched with quality candidates who make the most sense for your role. People come to LinkedIn every day to learn and advance their careers. So, LinkedIn understands what they're interested in and looking for. That means when you use LinkedIn Jobs to hire someone, your matches are based on so much more than a resume. It's not just about a resume. Sure, your matches are based on skills and background, but they're also based on interest, activities, and passions. And customers rate LinkedIn number one in delivering quality job opportunities. Post a job today at linkedin.com slash fool and get $50 off your first job post. That's linkedin.com slash fool. Terms and conditions apply. And our final story, shares of Canadian cannabis producer Tilray up big on Monday on news that its majority shareholder will gradually sell off its stake over the next two years. And Emily, 
Well, what a stake that is. Privateer Holdings owns 75 million shares of Tilray. That's 77% of Tilray's outstanding shares. So they could have really wreaked havoc had they wanted to. And instead, over the next two years, they're going to gradually sell off that stake. What does it mean for investors? It's actually it's a process called a downstream merger. This is where a partially owned company, which is Tilray in this example, takes over a parent company, which is Privateer. So it's actually a really good sign for investors because it means that Privateer is so confident about Tilray's underlying business that that's what they want their business to be in the future. So so Privateer actually formed Tilray uh, and opened it out up to outside investments in July 2018. So when the lockup period for Tilray, which I believe ended in January. January. When that period came and went and Privateer essentially did nothing, a lot of investors got scared because they're like, why why is Privateer not doing anything with this company that you know they say is such an important and major producer for the Canadian market? So the fact that it's taken a little while, yeah, it's a little bit concerning. But this downstream merger is actually really good for Tilray's core business because it now means that that all of that stake right is fully invested in Tilray. A downstream merger. If yes. you want to impress your friends, if there's a lull in the conversation tonight, I'm I'm very I don't think I've ever heard that phrase, and it's, it's appropriate. Very rare. It's all downstream now. Mike. I like it. It's it's downstream merger Monday. It's not just merger Monday. It's downstream merger Monday. It's very rare that you see a smaller subsidiary taking over a big parent company, but in this case, this is just a Canadian private equity firm that exclusively invests in cannabis, and Tilray is clearly their their shooting star here. So I'm not terribly surprised, although the market does seem to be responding well to it. Oh, Okay, so now that we're on the topic of cannabis, um, one of our one of our analysts, um, we'll call her Emily Flippin, <laughs> um, at our most recent annual event, Fool Fest, did a breakout on cannabis. I so did. for those who were unable to attend, and you talked about cannabis some on the main stage, what what's a big takeaway? Because we hear so much about this industry. How about one thing I should know about investing in the cannabis industry? I think the big thing is. And it doesn't get said enough in the cannabis space is you can choose how to invest in cannabis. So people either tend to think, I want to go all in and I'm excited about the industry, or people think this is horribly unethical. And it's kind of like investing in something that's making the world worse. Why would I do that? Well, depending on where you draw your line, you can invest in different places. So part of what Shannon and I talked about during our breakup is the difference between cannabis, hemp, CBD, and THC. So hemp is the plant itself that can be used for things like rope and clothing. It's actually more sustainable, more economical than cotton. Okay. So if, if you're interested in this space but you feel worried about the ethics, draw your line there. Invest in companies that are producing hemp. And that was legalized late last year. Or you can invest, if you want to take it one step further, into CBD, which is the non hallucinogenic part of the cannabis plant that many people believe has medicinal benefits. and The FDA actually approved the drug that uses CBD to treat things like epilepsy. So There's opportunities to invest just in CBD, which is, depending on what form it's in, also legal. Or if you want to take it one step further, you can invest in THC, which is the hallucinogenic part of the marijuana plant that many people associate with smoking it, uh, putting it in edibles. And if you have no problem with it and you believe that all these things make the world better, you can invest in companies that work in recreational marijuana. So there's many, many different ways to get involved in the marijuana space. You don't have to immediately jump into companies like Tilray. In fact, Tilray is on our list of companies not to invest in. But you can look to other industries around it. You can look into parts within the cannabis plants and decide where you draw your line for investing. 
And as we wrap up, you mentioned that Tilray is on our do not invest in list. What, what's, the, what's the headline there? Why do we say stay away? Well, you see with the marijuana industry a lot of hype within a few companies. And there's nothing against Tilray's core business. Actually, it's a pretty strong core business. But because the hype has pushed up Tilray's stock to such extreme highs, it's extremely volatile. And so we don't think it's the best opportunities for investors to make money investing in the space. And I mentioned Full Fest. Jason, we were both there. We had an opportunity to talk to a lot of great members. Um, I know you did a breakout on the future of entertainment and got to talk to a lot of listeners. And a lot of people come up and mention listening to the podcast. And, and I've said this before, but it is an absolute privilege to do this show. And it's just wonderful to hear that there are actually people listening, <laughs> like doing real things as they're listening. I, yeah. I mean, I think the, the only real crime of an event like that is, you know, we. we we, you know, you want to talk to everyone. You want to give everybody a chance, um, and you obviously just can't do that. And so it does seem like you don't have a chance to speak, maybe with everyone you hope to, or everyone that was hoping to speak with you. But everyone that I did speak with, I mean, everybody's so nice. Had so many nice things to say about the podcast and the radio show, everything that we're doing on this front. And and I mean, my breakout part of the entertainment industry, part of the entertainment economy, is is the growing podcast segment and. Um, so it was just neat to see how many people are already enjoying that podcast segment. Neat to see people encouraging us to keep doing what we're doing and, and do more of it. Um, and it's always just nice to see that what we're doing at the end of the day is helping people because that's why we're here. Amen. Um, I want to give a shout out to Richard and Joni Morgan, two of our longtime members and oh, listeners. Yeah. I saw them and, at the um, reception after. Just Absolutely. Always love seeing Richard and Joni and George. And you know who you are, all of our great members, all of our great listeners. You said how nice they are, and that's true. You think our members, and, and specifically our listeners, are they nicer than we are? I feel like mm, I, you know, I mean you're 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 a nice guy and I'm a nice guy but I, I get a little I get a little grumpy sometimes. Yeah, but yeah, but we're we're old, so I mean like I think you just get older, <laughs> you get a little bit less tired. I was I was recently here, called a curmudgeon ooh. by one of our colleagues, and and then she kind of backtracked, but that that hurt me a little. I'm not gonna well, lie see, I mean you take that and you work with it, Mac. You try to you try to use that as as an I don't want to be opportunity a to get better. I don't right? want to be I want to no, be you don't. like irreverent and excitable and sometimes content. But I don't want to be a curmudgeon. Yeah, a curmudgeon's not fun. Just be a good person. You know, okay. be a nice guy, and if, if you do that, it all works. Out. Okay. Well, let's go to the desert island. Okay, you're on the desert island, and you've got five years, and you're looking at these stocks, and you can only buy one. We've got the soon-to-be Raytheon Technologies, which is the combined companies. Um, we've got Salesforce. We've got Beyond Meat. We have Zoom, and we have Tilray. What do you think for the next five years? You know, I'm a big Salesforce fan, so I feel like I need to go Salesforce here. They're just, you know, they focus on acquisitions a lot. I think there's a lot of future opportunities for acquisitions for them. They haven't fallen under regulatory pressure yet. It's a good company doing an important thing. I think they can grow to be a lot bigger in the future. So I'm a big fan of Salesforce, but I do want to give Zoom its fair shake. I mean, it's a close call there. Okay, Jason. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Salesforce too, but I'm buying my first third of Zoom. How about that? Oh, I like I it. I really like. I like what. I feel like that's going to be something that can solve a lot of problems in a lot of different verticals. And it's astounding to me that all of these companies out there that have these big video communications platforms have virtually just completely neglected them. And Zoom just says, hey, you know what? We're not going to neglect you. We love you video conferencing. We're going to make you better. We're going to make people like you a lot. And that's what's happening. You know, you're getting 
a somewhat teledoc type excitement in your voice when you talk about Zoom. I mean, well, is that is that fair? I mean, you know, Mac, I can neither confirm nor deny that I have an augmented reality service coming out. <laughs> and I can neither confirm nor deny that Zoom may be an idea that was on my short list of considerations. So, I'll just leave it at that. Okay. Well, there you go. As always, people on the show may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So, don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Emily, Jason, thanks for joining me. Thank you. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Matt Greer. Thanks for listening, and we will see you tomorrow.